A stranded group approaches the ancient house where a dim light burns in an upper window. As the full moon rises, a pain-racked man gasps at fur growing on his palms. Thunder crashes and lightning illuminates the operating table, lifting into the night sky. Eager for furative sex, on a dark night a young couple hears a twig snap as a hooked blade rises above them. Seated in a movie theater, these sights and sounds can only mean that we're watching a horror film. Ominous places, grotesque semi-humans, or outright monsters await, ready to make us confront our own fragile mortality. This is It Records. Hello everybody, I'm one of your hosts this week as always, Matt Johnson. Joined with me, as always, the fantastic Peter Hansen. Peter. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, glad to be here again. Everybody, this week on the podcast we're going to be discussing another foreign film, 2007's Spanish film, The Orphanage. Before we get into that one, I'm going to throw it over to Pete so we can have our creepy headline. <laughs> that was like a radio disc jockey thing going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make something work. Get get you some uh, some intro into the creepy headline. And you just put like some like horns behind it, like boop, doop, doop, doop. <laughs> Yeah, you get it. Uh, as my impression is flawless. <laughs> um, but this week. It's a little home with Matthew over here because it's from pure it's from Pure State Hospital in Bartonville, Illinois, close to home. I'm familiar. I'm very familiar. Yeah. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, tale is called The Crying Tree. It's a superstitious tale surrounding old book as somewhat unique among ghost stories and that is reportedly witnessed by hundreds of people. The story goes on when old book died, his funeral was attended by hundreds of 
whoa, excuse me, attended by hundreds of patients and staff members who became witnesses to the ghostly phenomena that was about to transpire. As workers' crying sound echoed from the graveyard elm, and everyone in attendance turned and looked, including Dr. Zeller, who later detailed Bookbinder and the surrounding events in his diary. They all claimed to have seen Old Book standing by the old tree. They still believed it to be that Zeller had the casket open to ensure that Old Book still lay inside. As the lid was open, the crying ceased, and Old Book's corpse was found undisturbed in the coffin. Days passed, and the tree began to die. Several of the ground's crewmen tried to remove the graveyard elm, or the crying tree, as it is known. None were successful, citing the weeping emanating from the tree. In later years, the elm was struck during a lightning storm was finally removed from the potter's field. How about that? I'm very familiar, personally, with that story. So to give that story a little more context, Old Book was a nickname that they gave a gravedigger at the hospital. Um, his real name was Manuel Bookbinder. Great name, Manuel Bookbinder. <laughs> A.K.A. A. Bookbinder. And he was born in 1878 and he died in 1910. And he would um, would just dig... Obviously, he was a gravedigger. He would just do burial for all the deceased patients and he would just lean against the tree and weep for the dead. So that's where the, the crying tree would come into place. And I know Matt is dying to give a little more detail because he is from the area. In fact, his high school was across the street. I bet some guys got into shenanigans uh, over there, I would imagine. Uh, you know, I plead the fifth on the shenanigans. Um, no, yeah, I grew up right next to this place. Uh, my house is literally like five minutes from the old state hospital. And it's really iconic in the town. It's this huge, massive, like four-story old Pure State Asylum, really, and um, it was boarded up for the public. You can't go inside, but you know, as teenagers do, um, they'll get in from time to time, and they'll they'll check it out, and they'll try to do their their search for what's going on, see if any ghosts are in there. Um, I've been in there before. They actually opened up recently, like on Halloween nights. Um, you can go in from like uh, ten to six a.m. if you want. Um, no lights except for the lobby in the basement. Sorry, the main floor by the door. The rest is flashlight-driven, and you can uh, peruse around at your own will. And let me let me tell you, it's pretty scary. <laughs> it's pretty terrifying in there. It's just this huge old... I mean, it's an old hospital. I mean, there's stuff still just, like, laying around in there. Um, there's graffiti everywhere, as you can assume. But <laughs> it's creaky, it's dusty, and you can't see more than, like, a few inches in front of your face. How much of your weekly uh, allowance did you have to give up to go there? How much? Yeah. Like a like a percentage? Um, it wasn't it wasn't that much. Um, it was like twenty bucks or something per person, something like that. Yeah, it was just meant to be like a little gimmick for the the locals for going to this into this asylum that I mean everybody talks about and you can see and for the most part you can't go in there. So hey, it's Halloween. We'll safeguard it. But check it out. Check out the old state hospital. And, like, the surrounding areas, because um, they, they own a lot of the properties. Like, there's this huge building, which we got to go into. But a lot of the properties surrounding the area, which are now businesses, were also part of the old state hospital. Um, so they're said to be haunted as well um, for these new establishments that are selling stuff there. I mean, probably because there's just, like, so many patients that 
stayed in the rooms or were at one point in the buildings. Oh, definitely. Because at one point, it, it, I mean, it was the, for the state of Illinois, the, the hospital um, where people came for criminally insane. So, yeah, what's that? I was going to say, let's let's just jump into it right now. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to go. That leads us right into why we're talking ghost stories. Um, The Orphanage, uh, 2007, uh, directed by J.A. Bayona. Would you pronounce that right? J.A. Bayona. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, he also directed The Impossible with Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts and is slated to direct the newest Jurassic Park. Um, this film was written by Sergio G. Sanchez, and you'll probably know the name that's attached to it as a producer, Guillermo del Toro. The movie, it follows a woman named Laura who brings her family back to her childhood home, which used to be an orphanage for handicapped children, hence the title. Before long, her son Simone starts to communicate with an invisible new friend with a sack on his head. And then in a nutshell is what the orphanage is about. Um, Pete and I will get into it, um, what we thought of it. Um, horror significance, Pete, um, which I'd like to do before we get into the plot. There's a lot of it for me. I won't go all into too much detail now, but um, I was really happy with your pick this week. Um, so kudos. On the orphanage. Oh, Pete. thank you. It's been on my list for a while. First time viewing, for the, in real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we can jump right into it. We said it's a ghost story, first and foremost. Like that's the subgenre it falls into. Um, but I want to ask you, Pete. Um, since we the last episode that we listened to was eyes. Eyes without a face, and we talked about the pacing, and how that was kind of slow how did you think this one held up to the the previous film we just watched because this one i feel like is a lot of uh, long shots uh prolonged tension um in your shots i mean i feel it's like the only way way you can compare the two movies is that they are horror movies but that's like Mm -hmm. that's what they share they're very different in story and execution and like even influence because this is influence from 70s Spanish cinema and ultimately mm-hmm. I kind of got that feeling like oh this really feels like a 1970s horror movie I kind of got like and I was like the conjuring in the insidious like feel very similar to this movie I got that vibe yeah. a lot especially with the medium which we could get into later that they brought mm-hmm. to the house um, yeah. and there was some fantasy mixed in so but like you to go back onto topic um, I thought the pacing was definitely way more modern but it definitely it didn't have its jump scares it like had its tension building and the they had like their it would lead up and then like there'd be like nothing so it kind of get your heart racing for no reason and then it would get you later on with yeah i mean i i totally agree with you um i think this this job did a great um work with building suspense um, and terror, really. Um, it didn't really have many shocks or surprises or, like, really grotesque gore scenes, I mean, at all, um, which I appreciate. Um, and we kind of talked about it in one of our mini-episodes. Check it out if you got the time. Um, but, it, yeah, it was a lot of under-the-surface psychological 
tension. Like you created fears in your mind and you didn't really know what was fantasy and what was reality happening in the film. I have a question before, I don't know, maybe you could stop me, don't answer it now. You mm-hmm. said that the orphanage was for handicapped children, but the main woman, the mother, she didn't seem to be handicapped or anything disability whatsoever, so... Uh, Laura? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I. She took pills a lot. That's really all I... Yeah, I, I didn't get either that or pick up that she was handicapped anyway, but I mean that's what the the orphanage is supposed to be set up for. I mean at least that's what the description was and what we were told. Yeah, it's very and, like, clear in the beginning because like uh, yeah. you see uh, children running around, they got braces on and like legs, mm-hmm. arms, and they're playing some it seems like green light, red light kind of game. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does, but it was knock on wood. It was like one, two, three. Knock on, yeah, knock on the wall. Was it knock on the wall? Knock on the wall. That's what it was. Yeah, and they would turn around. That's what the translation and, was. <laughs> yeah, and there would be a step closer, and if they saw you when she turned around, you would go back to the start. You'd lose. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really even think about that, but yeah, it's supposed to be for handicapped children. Um, yeah, so that's that's the setup. That's our first scene. Is her at this handicapped uh, orphanage? She gets adopted. 30 years later, she's back, and she wants to set it up again. And she has her husband, Carlos, son, Simone. And it's it's on a beach, a remote beach, which I think is a very interesting aspect of the, the film. Yeah, I I was trying to think. It was like giving me some kind of vibe, and I, and I just couldn't place what I was thinking of. Me too, and I still can't. I don't know what it is, but I kept getting some eerie feeling when I kept seeing like the the beach in that cave. Yeah. There's a there's a specific cave that's just off the property that they go to and that's where Simone for the first time starts talking to somebody. Um that the mother can't see. Yeah. There's gotta um, be he, No, what were you gonna say? I was gonna even go a step further. Um then he's at the age where he's starting to talk to imaginary friends. So he's, he has a bunch of imaginary friends and the parents want to talk to him about, hey, they're not real. Um you shouldn't act like that. Right around the time he finds this new person, Tomas, at the orphanage, a new imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say Would back be- with the beach and the lighthouse, that like there's got to be some kind of story that we're just like missing that is I feel like common folklore, because it, it definitely has that feel to it as we talked about before recording, and like mm-hmm. we could even get to a little bit later where it they talk about Peter Pan a little bit, and you could see some of the you know, the mirrorings there where it takes from that story. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and Del Toro does this a lot. Many of his horror films or films in general feel fantasy or fairy tale esque. Um, but Peter Pan is definitely mirrored like throughout. It's like almost a straight, I don't even know what you want to call it, but, uh, not a, I don't know, but it's very heavily influenced Peter Pan into this film. But maybe it's just something in Peter Pan that we're missing. Um, like, I don't know. Do you know the Lost Boys reference in this film? I don't remember the Lost Boys being referenced, actually. Uh, okay, yeah. See, that's something I picked up on. But you might have missed. I mean, we might just be missing what the cave is. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Pan. And someone's going to be tweeting while, we're, while they're listening. They know exactly what it is. 
Um, but I can't pinpoint what it is. And I don't want to give the Lost Boys reference because it kind of gives away the ending. And we'll get there. Oh, so I, I just totally missed that. <laughs> and then, mm. and then, and yeah. then the ending was like, you know, let's just say it ended. <laughs> and I'm not going to say how I felt about it in, until we get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, while we're on the topic of like uh, Peter Pan and fantasy, uh, Pete, how did you feel about that in this film? And I mean, do you have any deeper context into it? Because um, I have some thoughts on it. Um, wh- what do you mean specifically? Like, like how it made me like scared or something, or yeah, how it made you scared, or like I found a very hard time trying to differentiate what was fantasy and what was reality for this film, and uh, I kind of I think that makes it even more suspenseful. Yeah, and how it's so seamless. Yeah, it definitely blurs it like a lot and i would say i would almost argue most things even though it is fantasy it is like to be taken in real life i took most of that and then there's like times where it's not real so it's just like it's like very confusing in that regard but i think i would take it was majority of it happening in real life and was like kind of like playing into the fact that this woman is having like a traumatic breakdown and like having yeah. um i don't know episodes i guess you could say of just like trying to figure out what the hell happened to her son because he goes missing yeah um i definitely agree like i watch it and i think there's there's ghosts in this house there's this is what's happening they're being terrorized here by some sort of spirits and that's where simone is because simone goes missing at, after a after a party where all the other new like children a, are coming like to the house. Like a fundraiser type of situation. Yeah, it was like the first real open house for the orphanage, where, like, and kids were coming. I would say really spooky, because all these kids were wearing, like, creepy fucking masks. I was like, I was yeah. like, what is this? What's going on? I was like, maybe it's some kind of Spanish thing? I don't know, but... Yeah. It was really creepy I, masks. <laughs> yeah, and I also think it was supposed to make it even that line between fantasy and reality make it even seem more seamless that that's the first time we see Tomas yeah. in the flesh and he's wearing that sack on his head um but yeah um i thought i thought they did a really good job blurring those two realities and i'm still left up in the air wondering what what really happened because i don't know if we want to spoil the end it could have just been a psychotic break for her um like she comes back to this place um, that she grew up as a child, and these these things happened here. Something happened with Tomas that we learned um, that he died um, when he was a young kid, and so she has this break when she comes back, um, and she starts uh, regressing to when she was a kid and everything, um, and she starts seeing these things that aren't really there, um, and then she kind of uses it as an excuse for what happened in the end. So, do you want to go into the plot a little bit more since uh, we've barely we barely touched the surface there? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think that'd be that's fair. <laughs> um, so we, we've got. I was go gonna ahead. say, do you do you want to go it in order? Or do you want to go kind of like like highlights? Because there's like so much to grab that I think I have a few questions, especially with um, the the psychiatrist that comes to the house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
what that deal is all about because um i don't know if she's real <laughs> yeah um the social work yeah you mean? yeah um real quick i'll just do like a, a boom 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 some major plot points and then people will be yeah, able reel it in cool. yeah <laughs> yeah starts out uh laura our main protagonist is a child at the orphanage um boom fast forward 30 years later She's married with Carlos, son Simone, and they bought the orphanage and live there and want to set up a similar orphanage again. Um, while they're there, um, we learn um, Simone has met a new imaginary friend named Tomas, um, and he wants to play a game. And basically, it's sort of like a treasure hunt. Or what? Is that what they're no, what are they called? Yeah, I would say well, um, scavenger. Yeah, scavenger. Yeah. That, it's, it's basically like that, where you find something here, it's a clue to go to somewhere else to find what they're looking for. And the, Simone's doing it with Laura, and they find out that Simone was actually adopted. He didn't know that, and he's HIV positive. Um, so he has to take his medication to live. Open house. All the kids are there that are going to be at the orphanage. Um, Simone goes missing. Um, they don't know where he's at. Um, Laura is frantic. I was going to pause you there for a situation. One thing that this movie, I would say, is a little weird with, like, I wouldn't, I guess mm-hmm. a little complaint is that, um, it, like, they, like, almost exploit the fact that, of, like, disabled children, they're like, let's make them creepy because they're, they're handicapped. handicapped. Yeah. I, I, like, mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> I'm like, they're able, obviously they're able to do it because they gave them creepy masks, but I almost feel like, Oh, here are handicapped kids. Let's make them scary. True, um, and I get that. But I also, I'd posit, or that's sort of a horror. I guess trope. Yeah. Whether it's good. It's good or bad. The handicapped kid is picked on and becomes the monster, um, or something like that. Like Michael was deformed in Halloween, and he's this mass killer. Um, I mean. I think it's just a trope in general, whether good or bad, it's it exists. And I think maybe we, we realize it a little more with this film is because, I don't know, this movie does a good job of making the film seem really realistic and not too supernatural, even though it's a ghost story. Yeah, okay. I think it just is more prevalent to us. Okay, real quick on the yeah. plot, they're at the open house, <laughs> uh, Simone goes missing. Prior to that, what Pete referenced, a social worker comes to the house and is asking about Simone, unprompted visit. So Laura is really um, weirded out by this, asks her to leave, basically. Then the open house, Simone goes missing. They think she's suspect number one. Fast forward six months later. We get fast forwarded six months. Simone's still missing. Laura and Carlos are sort of in some grieving uh, meetings. They're searching for him with the police. Um then I think really the next plot point they need to know is the social worker is killed once Laura finds her in a car accident. Then they consult a medium who comes to the house to sort of see if there's any spirits there. Um, There seems to be some spirits from what they find. Then, stop me if I'm ever wrong, Pete. Um, What happens is Carlos leaves the house and Laura's going to stay there by herself for two nights and one, and recreates the look of the house prior to them coming there. So what it looked like when she was there to try to, you know, like, uh, conjure yeah. the spirits and find out where Simone is, the final uh, climax of the movie. 
and um, then spoilers, um, she plays the knock on wood game yeah. or knock on the wall game. The ghosts show up behind her, and she's searching frantically through the house, and she finds up where Simone mm-hmm. is. Should I go? I will actually want to rewind for a second. <laughs> okay, good. Um, good. I'm going to reel you in for a second. So back to the unprompted visit from the mm-hmm. social worker and then you find her but we also find out that she's the mother of Tomas and but yes, also true. is 70 but like appears to be the same age as Laura I don't maybe oh. I missed something but like I was very confused by that okay um I didn't think she looked like Laura's age maybe that's why I think she looks at, at least like 20 years okay cuz in the picture like older it is like there's this like black and white picture of them, and then I was like, I was like, that's just a child, <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's yeah. seventy, and I was like, wait, she was there at the same time as Laura. How is she that old? Yeah, yeah. I think Laura at the orphanage is supposed to be like seven or eight, and 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 uh, the social worker looked like maybe she like in was her twenties or something. Tw- yeah, like younger than most of the other workers, but like in her twenties. So she's got about twenty years or so, give or take, on on Laura. Okay, that's yeah. that. I was confused. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then just to wrap up the ending, spoilers, I'll go, she finds Simone and what actually happened to him. Uh, con- continue. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, Simone has passed. Um, she died. There were several clues throughout the movie we didn't really pick up on. They, they flash back on um, that show that it was kind of just an unfortunate circumstance what happened. He got locked in the basement, which is where Tomas was kept, um, and he tripped and fell, hurt himself, and was left down there and passed away. <sighs> then, <laughs> Laura commits suicide via Simone's HIV pills so that she can be with Simone and she goes, and all the all the kids come up, and she's gonna stay with them and take care of mm-hmm. them. Basically, be their caretaker at the orphanage. That's the Lost Boys reference. She's Wendy, who grew up. Simone's Peter oh. Pan. The, they're all the Lost Boys. Come take care of us. You grew up. Come back to Neverland. Yeah. <sighs> Man. And that's the end. Of, that's the end. I um, was uh, so <laughs> I, at the end, like when it like came back. And like you see the father, and it's you see the grave for uh, Simone and Laura, and I was like, man, mm-hmm. I'm I'm almost gonna cry right now. Like this is so fucking depressing. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And then even the final shot where he goes into the house the last time, and uh, was it her ring? It was Saint Anthony's. Uh, oh, the, the necklace, necklace again. Yeah. Um, he finds it on the ground, and uh, the doors open up. Yeah. Like the wind blows these two doors open, and. Apparently, she wants to play the scavenger hunt with him. Come find where Simone and I yeah. are. So it was kind of sad and sweet at the end. But I would say that I... Man, I almost feel like we haven't talked about this movie at the same time. Even though we just went through the entire plot and explained how plot. we felt about it. I just, mm-hmm. We have so much more to talk about. And I'm trying to think... God, what, what can we highlight within the last few minutes of the show? Yeah. One thing, um, just about the movie before we do production stuff, if we want to do anything like that. Um, Guillermo del Toro didn't direct this, he produced it, but he was on board with it. Mainly the reason why I got a wider release and more money. 
uh, and more runtime is that he was attached to it is he has a, a fantastic job I think of creating an atmosphere especially the haunted house atmosphere like where the house that is taking part in either the devil's backbone crimson peak or the orphanage is a living breathing creature and you feel something is around every corner and it doesn't have to shock and scare you but there's that dread that's there mm-hmm. and I think how he does that and what this movie does better than those other two is that idea of coming back to your home later in life and like I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one where you went downstairs in a, in a dark basement as you're a kid and there's something spooky to it, right? When you're yeah. a kid. Now, if you go down to some basement when you're younger, someone else's basement, you're not scared. You go down to the basement, you turn the light on. But there's that lingering feeling. I feel like when you go home, you're like, you have that in the back of your mind. That subconscious feeling where like... I still run up the stairs really quickly. When <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I gotta go up the stairs. Yeah, like, <laughs> something spooky, something's there. And he does that in his movies. Like a lot of... Like Crimson Peak has a, a scary basement. This one has a scary basement. And they all kind of cultivate that feeling in the back of our minds that we share is that that childhood home of those fears of like the basement or something's lingering in the corner that we can all kind of relate to. And he doesn't have to shock you by bringing something out because that loses the fear of what he's trying to cut to. One thing I want to say about this movie <sighs> <laughs> is that I felt like it didn't pull any punches. And what I mean by that is is that we know that Simone passed in the end, which, um, mm-hmm. and then, but you also get the feeling like, oh, like she's with them in the afterlife, like still lingering to this earth. Um, sure. but all those kids, they were like, they were killed by, um, that social worker because the kids were responsible for Tomas's death because it played a trick on him and he died in the high tide mm-hmm. in the cave. And so she yeah. just like fucking burned them in a Crematorium or whatever you want to like it, yeah. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's really fucked up." <laughs> I was yeah. like shocked, and she's just like finding like little clues all over the place, trying to. And there's just like little creepy set pieces too, like like the the dolls are creepy, and then like mm-hmm. um, they kind of had the mystical feel to them too, with like when she was given the doorknob when she played that game, like I thought she mm-hmm. was kind of like. I thought she was going to go back in time for a second because it kind of gave that illusion earlier with the medium when she, cause she kind of saw like the house as it was when Laura was a kid and it was like, mm-hmm. she was like, Oh children, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you sick? And, and so I thought yeah. she was going to have a similar situation, but she didn't. So. Yeah. And I think, and I liked that the way they did it, especially with the medium where you didn't see anything, but you could tell she was seeing something by what we heard. Mm-hmm. Like the kids screaming and asking for help and everything, which is genuinely like unsettling for me. Like, it was oh, me I like, was very unsettled and very scared. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I th- and it didn't really take us back in time when Laura saw them. Um, but I think they explained that well, or at least I like the concept that they were using. It was like, if something in a place has such an emotional trauma, it cuts through timelines and like time periods where it sticks in that place. And what's happening is it's trying to reach out to you. You have some connection to this trauma. Um, which I think is why it could have been a psychotic break for her too. But also I like the idea that no, it's just this ghost that's reaching out to you because there's such a trauma in this place. Um, that was beautiful. <laughs> Before <laughs> we uh, start wrapping up the show, I want to play actually the end scene since we already spoiled it. But I would just want to, mm-hmm. I just want everyone to, 
listen to it and to see, I guess they imagine it because you can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm just going to play for everyone right now. Sweet. So now that we're we're back from seeing that sadness, <laughs> um, <laughs> is there any trivia you got to share with us before uh, we talk about? I guess quickly, there are no sequels to this movie. There are talks about remakes, yeah. an American remake, which mm-hmm. happens a lot with foreign films. Give or take, how you feel about mm-hmm. it, <laughs> but it still hasn't happened yeah. yet. So I feel like there's flaws within pre or production. Uh yeah, um, the the last I heard is like 2013 was the latest news, but there's been a director on it, wrote a help write a script, took it off, and uh, now they're uh, looking to cast Amy Adams as Laura's character. But what I did here is uh, Guillermo del Toro is more excited for this one um, because he's writing the script for this one, and he said the orphanage is great. <laughs> Prefaces with that, um, but there was a different way I wanted to take it. And uh, I'm, more, I'm more excited to see how this one is fleshed out. So that's some high hopes. Maybe he's just tooting his own horn so people will go see it. I would almost argue that it doesn't make me excited about it because I prefer Guillermo del Toro's Spanish-speaking films, excluding excluding the Get Hellboy up. movies. I would say they're only the only ones that, are, that really do it for me. Uh, like Pan's Labyrinth, mm. great. This movie, great. I haven't backbone. seen Devil's Backbone, but I know... It's great. Oh. <laughs> Not a fan of Pacific yeah, Rim. Hate me. Hate me. Mm. <laughs> Crimson's, Crimson's uh, Peak, is that Cr- what you're going to bring up? Uh, I was going to say Crimson Peak and Chronos. Chronos is... Uh, I liked it. Uh, Crimson Peak was okay to me. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting words right there. No, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I thought it was really good. Um, okay. Um, yeah, that's talks of the remake but uh just as you mentioned how give or take if you like foreign movies being made into america american movies after they've had some success the director j.a bayoya bayona sorry if i'm butchering your name please don't sue me um he was basically he like ripped it that he's like that's what american filmmakers do they're not original they take stuff that are success and just remake them they have no stake in the genre so he was like pissed at the um, remake. fair you know fair words <laughs> we uh yeah. American films mm-hmm. do do that a lot. 
especially in the horror genre, yeah. there's probably less less innovate oh, definitely innovation lately with it besides like your your random indie films that you get like one a year like the it follows and the babadook and the witch <laughs> yeah well babadook's oh yeah you're right Australian, you got me there right? so te- it's english speaking yeah. but technically not american yeah i was just <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh trivia trivia before we defend or destroy <laughs> yeah sure um being me quick about this uh, i know it premiered in 07 at the cons film festival to 10 minutes of ovation um following the screening um so did really well um as we talked about the script was actually written in 96 um and it took at least a decade before anybody even picked it up to work on it yeah that's nuts yeah Um, other than that, I don't have too many um, crazy statistics, I mean trivia. I know it was nominated for 14 Goya Awards, which is the Spanish Film Awards. Um, and it won Best Art Direction, Director of Production, Best Makeup and Hair, Best New Director, Best Screenplay, Original Screenplay, Sound Mixing and Special Effects. So, And it was nominated for the 2007 Academy Award for Best Foreign Film at the Spanish Academy of Films. So people liked it. Which I around. would concur and go directly into I defend it. <laughs> yeah. And I would I would say likewise. I defend it as well. Um it's been on my list just as Pete said for as a, as it was on his. Um yeah, it was on my list just as Peter said it was on his um to watch it. And I'm glad you picked it because I could go on for hours to feel about this film, just the way it was filmed and um, the way they wrote the story, how it works into the horror genre. But I'll keep it at defend it, and I highly recommend people see it. It's on Amazon. I know that. I bought this film before watching it. <laughs> I had it. Yeah. I had I it, def- and I was like, you know what? It's worth ten bucks, and it was. <laughs> no, I agree. I. From watching it, I would definitely purchase it. Like it's it's one to have and have multiple viewings. Definitely. And now that we both defended it, right before we sign off for all of you and give you one of our new segments, actually, Pete, you have any guess on what the budget was for this movie in the box oh, office? Oh man, um, I would say it did pretty well. I want to judge that the the budget was uh, twenty million. What do you think the, the yeah. budget you think was twenty million? Yeah. Wow, a lot cheaper than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh box office is seventy eight point six million. So Yeah. They cashed they, in pretty well on this film. They got their money back. <laughs> yeah. Times like ten. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, before we sign off, Pete and I just want to do a new little segment. Pete, what's what's uh, yours called? Pete's picks. What's your little <laughs> Pete's picks and Matt will come up with a name next week. Um, Matt's essentially matinee. What it, <laughs> Matt, Matt's matinee. I don't know, yeah, unless you got another cinnamon for picks. But uh, basically, as uh, I'm going to take the helm here for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a segment it. that uh, Matt kind of came up with like a, oh, a couple weeks ago, I want to say, where you just like want to talk about what we've been watching and we're going to keep it horror-related. 
and uh, lately I've been watching Ashes vs. the Evil Dead. I, in fact, just watched all four episodes that just, um, so that kind of timestamps us right here because this is going to be later in the game when this is posted, <laughs> but uh, there have been four episodes aired mm-hmm. for Ashes vs. the Evil Dead in the second season, and I watched within the last two days. <laughs> and uh, I would say yeah. I do enjoy it, but there's something about it that kind of, I don't, I don't want to say rubs me off the wrong way, but I feel like it gives us, it gives you too much by like, it's like everything that fans want it to be, but I want it to be like more innovative. It's like very entertaining and very gore-tastic mm. as, you know, Evil Dead fans want it to be. Yeah. But I want to say, you know, the story kind of, la- it's not terrible, but it kind of lacks. Okay. that's I haven't watched any of it, but I mean to. But that's an interesting perspective. You kind of want to say it's uninspired in a sense that from what it gives what the fans want, but it's not, it's not taking the story anywhere else. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like adding, it adds like more monsters to it, I would say, but I don't know. It just seems like we're here to have a hell of a good time and they do and we do. But I, I want to say that, you know, it's a little, like you said, uninspired. Okay, that's interesting. I'm still. Oh, it's very. It's. It I still. I still enjoy it, but that it. was like my, my pickiness at it. It just. It just feels, like they they could do better. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. And and as for Matt's matinees, as as Pete so, uh, kindly coined, I I haven't really been seeing anything new recently. I, it's I'm watching a lot of, of like horror movies just in general, repeating them for. For Halloween, um, but I, I I've been watching the Nightmare on Elm Streets and the Friday the Thirteenth. Um, I have I own the first four Nightmare on Elm Streets, the first three Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, I've been watching those again. Love them. Prefer Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, just watched part three of Friday the Thirteenth last night, which is the 3D <laughs> yes. movie. Oh man, it is it a does rough, not hold up. It's a rough Especially, one, but I would say the kills are like what's entertaining about that movie. Yeah, there's the one where he shoots like uh, I don't know, like a harpoon gun yeah. almost at the girl in the lake, and like shoots her right in the eye. Oh, quick, quick trivia! Good. It's the first movie Jason puts on the mask. That's a good point. Because the first film, spoiler alert, is his mom. Yeah, <laughs> two. Yeah. If two. He, he has a sack. Three. He steals mm-hmm. a, a hockey mask from a fat, annoying character. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you thought that guy was annoying? I'm gonna <laughs> kill you. I'm gonna, Jason's gonna kill him and, and take his mask. Uh, that is a good bit of trivia. Um, yeah, other than that, that's what I've been watching, kind of uh, rewatching. But I'm going to go see very soon, so maybe in the next podcast I can hit you up with my feelings. The new Ouija movie. Um, I don't know if it's, what, the Ouija the Experiment or... You know, the, the full I want to say it's it. like something beginning or something. Isn't it like evil, evil beginning or something like that? I want to say yeah, it's or, that's Origin it, that's of it. Evil. <laughs> that Origin of Evil, yeah. Um, I I thought the first one was was lackluster, to say the least. So like they're making a prequel, and I was like, okay, this is going to be similar. But apparently it's getting, people are enjoying it. People are getting a kick out of it. It's getting good scores on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'll have to go check it out and let you know. What to think of this new? Yeah, Ouija definitely film. keep me in that loop. 
I will. I definitely will. And with that, I think we're going to conclude this week. Don't want to keep running up the time and boring you. You got things to do. You got groceries to get. People to talk to. Stop listening to us. Keep doing your laundry. Um, but we'll be back. Yeah, keep doing. Keep exercising. You know, whatever you're doing while you're listening to us. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. Um, in the meantime, check out the website. Listen to old episodes, mini episodes. We're going to have blogs up. Uh, uh, Pete, especially in his screenwriting process. But get on the forum, create a discussion. Let us know how we're doing, what you want to hear. And follow our tweets. That'll be the latest news and information on the It Records podcast. And uh, until next time, then, as always, I remain in the shadows. And I'm Peter Hansen. <laughs>